So we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the three motivations of Paul. And that will take us to what we're going to be looking at tonight. I hope and pray that this is a blessing. It's been a blessing to me. Like I said, you know, I've told you before, how many times have I said, you know, pray for your pastor. The messages that he preaches in the foreseeable future weigh heavy on his heart. But I don't want that to sound like it's a burden. You know, it's like, oh, I got to look at that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's great to get into God's word. Folks, I have been in my study and in my reading, I've been recognizing more and more this, the uniqueness of the local church. The uniqueness of the local church. This is more than just a group of people getting together just to hear some guy talk about what the Bible has to say to him. That is not it. When you speak of, when you read, excuse me, when you read of what Christ said about his body, local churches, when you go to the Revelation and you hear about, you know, the church at Laodicea and the church at Philadelphia and the church at Ephesus and on and on and on, there are local churches that stand out in the Bible, but then we also hear about generally the body of Christ. And then how Paul wrote to churches. This was written to the church in Corinth. It's a blessing. So what I want us to do now is I want us to see, and I better turn to it. I'm standing here talking to you and I haven't taken my Bible and gotten there. But I want us to see Paul's heart when it comes to his Christian walk. So let's pray. Let's ask God to give us ears to hear, wisdom and a heart to understand. Heavenly Father, I pray again for those things right now. I pray that your not only would your word be embraced, but your will would be done. I don't know what it is that you're going to be doing in people's hearts today. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in all of us. Grow us now. Help us to grasp, help us to embrace, help us to rejoice in what you have to say to us. I pray in Christ's name, amen. By the way, speaking of work that gets done, it was a joy. You've, I'm telling you, it just set us on fire this last Wednesday night, Antonio gave his testimony. I didn't know. I, everybody that was there got a blessing. Amen? Amen. It was great. And, but it was great to hear what God has done in his life. It's great to see every time God's doing something in a young person's life, or, or an old person for that matter. You know, he still does work. Amen? All right. So once again, last Sunday, we looked at this. Remember in 2 Timothy 4, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now that was, that was tough 
to read. We looked at the man, the move, what he did. He said, hey, I, I took, he, he took off. He left, literally the word means he left Paul in a lurch. You know, you stop and think about it. You go back to that place. Paul said in verse 6 of that chapter, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul knew he was going to be dying. They were going to put him to death, but Demas left anyway. He knew what was in Paul's heart. Now you stop and you consider that. That is so sad. It still stuns me how he literally, like the word says, he left him in a lurch. There was things that Paul counted on from him, but he left anyway. So we looked at the man, then we looked at the move, but then the last thing, remember, we looked at the motive, having loved this present world. Now we saw this, that that didn't happen overnight. There was a time Paul was blessed by Demas. He would say so. He even said so in the letter to the church at Colossae. So, got to looking, got to studying 2 Corinthians. I thought, wait a minute. Look at this, what we're finding in 2 Corinthians 5. There are three things that are listed here. They are the three motivations of Paul. So we looked at the one from Demas. You know, he fell in love once again with this present world. He's gone. But what drove Paul? Now, we're catching Paul in mid-thought. Let's start in verse 5, 2 Corinthians 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, here we are, we are absent from the Lord, we're not in glory. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now here they come in these three verses. Look at verse 9. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, here's the first one, we may be accepted of him. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's the second one, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Verse 11, here's the third one. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Listen, there is a motivation in so many areas in our lives that makes us move. You know, when we get up in the morning, why do you feel motivated to eat? 
you're hungry. And on and on and on. When it comes to what God has done in us, through us, and to us, and how he has called us, what is our motivation? We saw last Sunday that a young man called of God, made a profession of faith, looking at Paul, watching him serve, listening to him preach, seeing what he wrote to different churches, he starts looking at the world. And he thinks, hmm, you know, Paul's getting ready to die. I don't know really all about this. Why should I wind up then going on after Paul's dead when I can get out and really enjoy life now? I've told this story before, but it fits well here. I'm going to tell it again. There was a young lady in her 20s at the church that my wife were married in. We, it was over at Walnut Creek Baptist Church. There was a, uh, there was a young lady that was saved. She made a profession of salvation. Her husband was a professional musician. At the time that we got to talking to him, she had a real burden for him to get saved. At the time, he was on a six-month tour with the Beach Boys. He had several albums in his house, platinum, that he had been a part of with the Steve Miller Band. Those of you that knew rock and roll way back then, you know who I'm talking about. So here he is, and I remember myself and the pastor and one other man, we're there witnessing to him. He finally gets saved. And he also has decided he's going to walk away from all that. But something happens. Somehow, his wife, who asked us to pray for him, Somehow she got this idea. If I am a Christian, it's going to be a major drag on my social life. I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to hang with the people that I used to be able to hang with and this and that. So one day she up and decides I'm quitting. Not only that, it started to threaten her family, her marriage. And I remember once again being there. In fact, it was, it was just before, I'm remembering now, it was just before my wife and I got married. But we're there and talking to him and her. It was myself and Pastor Mincy and also the man that I did concrete work, work with, Anton Goyak. We were there talking to them both. And she looked at us and she said, listen, I don't care what you say. I'm going to have a social life. I'm going to have fun. Something happened to her motivations. Listen now. This is important. Satan wants to kill what you live for. Satan wants to kill what you live for. He wants to make it so it's a bad taste in your mouth, whatever it takes. Be it being faithful to the Lord, be it being faithful in getting out the gospel, being separated from the world, it doesn't matter. He wants to destroy it. We need to listen to Paul. 
Look at verse 14, what he said here. For the love of Christ, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Now listen to that phrase. Because we thus judge that if anyone died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. What he's saying is this. He says, you know what keeps us going? God so loved the world. That's what keeps them going. That's what keeps us all going or ought to. God so loved the world. Now, do do you think God might know what he desires is right? If God so loved the world, then we ought to look and go, you know, this is worthy of our attention and our energy by his grace. This is what he calls us to. He said, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Listen, we don't live for ourselves now, but unto him which died for them and rose again. This is why we live, because of him. There are people out there right now that have no hope. Do you realize that over half of the people in this land, in America, are on some kind of prescription drug? Now, I take, I mean, you know, you, you know there's, the, there's blood pressure, et cetera, but do you realize how much of that has to do with depression? Other things included in that? Christ is our hope. Amen? He's our hope. Now, so we look, we look at the news, we see things that are going on, and our attitude is like, praise God, I'm so glad I'm saved. There's others out there, they don't know what to do. They might be conservative, but that's as far as their hope goes. Other people, they've given themselves over to a hope that actually enslaves. Folks, it's amazing to me that so many people in the media, in entertainment, in academia, in government, are living for a philosophy that enslaves. Ultimately, it enslaves. Now, I could make a statement and get some people really angry with me, but I'm not going to, so I'm going to generalize. There is a large contingency of people in this land right now, they are still in the business of slavery. So sue me. But it's the truth, and I can prove it. Mankind is their hope. How many of you have recognized that mankind is not hope? Not there. Absolutely not there. Hudson Taylor is one of my favorite missionaries to read about. He was the director of the China Inland Mission. He would interview candidates that were going to the mission field. On this one particular occasion, 
he met with a group of applicants. They were determined they are going to serve the Lord with the China Inland Mission. And so he starts asking, why do you want to go as a foreign missionary? One replied, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the Bible has said that. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. And that is true. Others gave different answers. But then Hudson Taylor told each and every one of them this, quote, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testings, trials, tribulations, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely the love of Christ, which is what Paul said in verse 14, where we were at. Another missionary who was in Africa was once asked, do they really like what they're doing there? Do they really like what they're doing? His response was this. He says, do I like this work? He says, no. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonable, refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go and we go. Love constrains us. You know what we're tempted with right now? We're tempted with looking back at the good old days. We wish we were living in the time of Ozzie and Harriet and Andy Griffith. But you know something? I think they had some problems back then too. Now, maybe not exactly like this, but you know, our thing is not to bring back those times. The Lord has told us, go ye into all the world. We are driven by the love of Christ as well. We're driven by that. So, three motives, quickly. First of all, the pleasing of the Lord. Look at verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Labor means we aspire to a goal. We have an ambition. And it is indeed the love of Christ. Paul's great goal and ambition was to be well-pleasing to Jesus Christ. The word accepted there, we may be accepted, is well-pleasing. It's well-pleasing to him to our God when we present our bodies as living sacrifices, Romans 12.1. You know the verse, that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. We, when we live so as to help others and avoid causing them to stumble, stop and think about it. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat, drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Why? He was telling people, be careful what you eat. You've got, you've got to be careful not to help someone else stumble who used to be in a situation and they recognize where that meat came from. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans 14. For he that in these things serveth Christ is 
again, acceptable to God. When, he, when we bring offering, Philippians 4.18, but I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. He is pleased. Our God is pleased with saints who permit Jesus Christ to work out his perfect will in their lives. Now stop and consider what we're about to read. We have, we ought to, a desire to please God and how he's called us to live. So here we are, California, 2022. How many of you have paid $7 for a gallon of gas already? Anybody? Ain't it fun? Ain't it great? But you know something? There are other people that are paying a lot more price. My wife mentioned when we went to India, I'm telling you, in preaching to those young people, in some ways I felt like a fool. I kid you not. Folks, got up there preaching to 200 and some odd young people there in India. In a matter of days, they are going back to their homes and they're going to be doing ministry. Some of them are going to where they're going to be threatened, they're going to be chased after, Their families have already disowned them. I think I told you the story already of this one particular guy. He was taking us on a little tour there in India, and and he took us to a place. There was a little, I took a picture of it. There was a little blue building. He said, see that place? He said, that place right there, it's a little Baptist church. He says, one day I was coming over here, I was going to preach in their Sunday evening service. He said, when I got out of my car and I'm starting to go over there, he said, about 20 guys surrounded me. And they said, we're going to kill you. You're one of those Christian preachers. We're going to kill you. He says, all right, you can kill me. You can kill me. But before you do, see that building over there? Yeah. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to preach. And then when I'm done, I'll come back over here and you can kill me. And their response was, well, okay. He went and preached. He came back. They were gone. God is good. But that's what they face all the time. And we're paying over $6 in gas, and it's not fun. And it's not fun to see our nation crumbling. But you know what? We've got a job and a ministry to do here. Amen? We've got it to do here. So listen to this. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. This is Hebrews 13, verse 20 that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, 
make you perfect, in other words, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. That's what he wants. That's what Paul is saying. This is my prayer for you, that God still does the work. Now, once again, is there a work that God still needs to do in your life? How many of you, come on, come on. It's called confession time. How many of you, you know of at least one place God has something to do in your life? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you just confessed that you're a liar. No, you didn't. And God has a work to do in your life. No, no, you know, seriously. So it needs to be done. Now, I know some of you might be saying, hey, I see somebody who has a real, you know, the Lord really has to do something in his life and he's behind the pulpit. And you'd be right. That's why we're here to encourage each other. You know, my wife and I were talking uh, yesterday morning. You know, just after breakfast, you know, just, just talking about this. You know, we've got quite a ministry ahead of us. Not that, not that you know, it lives or dies on us, but again, the local church encouraging each other because there will come a time you know, here they are, you know, talking about these people that banged on the doors and burned the houses down of these people because of their Christian witness. Listen, we've got them close to banging on the doors of Supreme Court justices because they want the freedom to butcher their babies even after the babies are born. Come on, folks. You realize we have had over 63 million babies murdered in America? We don't sin and get away with it as a nation. Now, does God forgive abortion? Yes. Does God forgive Adultery, yes. Does God forgive <laughs> lying? Yes. But we've got people that are saying, we want to hold on to our sin. And if they want to hold on to it, they don't want to be reminded that be sure your sin will find you out. And that's going to be happening here. Second, the facing of the Lord. The facing of the Lord. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear, literally, be revealed. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, bad meaning worthless. Not every believer is ambitious for the Lord. Not every believer has a motivation, I want to live for Christ. But... Every true believer is going to appear before the Lord. That, that phrase, judgment seat, comes from the Greek word bima, 
The platform in Greek towns where orations were given, decisions handed down by rulers, it was a place where awards were given out to winners in the annual Olympic Games. That's what God chose to use to give us an idea of what was going to be taking place when we stand before our Lord. The judgment seat of Christ is that future event when God's people will stand before the Savior as their works are judged and rewarded. Not their sin. That's been taken care of. Works. Romans 14.10 But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul was ambitious for the Lord because he wanted to stand before the Lord, not in shame, but in glory to his God. Now, th- this, is, this is something that we've got to, there's more verses and I'll, I'm going to share them with you a little bit later. But we've got to recognize this. Our God speaks much about how we're going to be standing before him. Now, our attitude might be, well, I don't care. I don't care because I just want to get to heaven. You know, I want to hear the Lord say, hey, come on in. Folks, let's stop and think about something. If you sin, you're convicted, right? If we say, I don't care, I just want to get to heaven, and we're not convicted, When he says, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, if there's not something that speaks to the heart, you see what I mean? We have all been given a specific gift to serve the Lord. And we have been all given a calling. Listen, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Some will endure the fire. Other will be burned up. I hate to say it, but I believe I'm going to have a whole lot of wood, hay, and stubble. You know, it hurts. And if you were honest with yourself, if you have that love for the Lord, you've got to admit it's the same thing. We don't do the gold, silver, precious stone in our power. It's by his power, but it's our calling that he gives. So the Bema seat will be a place of reckoning. It will be a place of reward and recognition by our Lord. We praise God for that. What we look for is the rejoicing 
Because the Bible says, if you give a cup of water in my name, you're rewarded. Boy, that was hard. You see? Number three, and we're done. Verse 11, the fearing of the Lord was his third motivation. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now that word terror there, it doesn't mean fright or dread or horror. But Paul did not minimize the awesomeness of the situation. In Romans 3, we're told of the sins of man this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now listen, in the flesh, you and I have a default setting. And that default setting in the flesh says, who's God? Now, when we trusted Christ, we recognized, I don't want to go to hell, but I'm under judgment for my sin. Lord, save me. The fear of God struck us there. But if we're not careful, the fear of God can wane just like Demas, who wound up loving this present world and departed just like him. In Malachi chapter 1, the Lord speaking to the children of Israel said, Hey, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? See, he's not just Jesus Christ. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord means master. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors. And he wrote in uh, the book, oh, I'm forgetting the name of the book now. He did a short chapter called The Waning Authority of Christ in the Churches. I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I'd like to read you just an extended quote from him. It is the basic doctrine of the New Testament church, excuse me, of the New Testament, that after his resurrection, the man Jesus was declared to be God, by God to be both Lord and Christ, and that he was invested by the Father with absolute lordship over the church, which is his body. All authority is his in heaven and earth. In his own proper time, he will exert it to the full. But during this period in history, he allows this authority to be challenged or ignored. And just now it is being challenged by the world and ignored by the church. The present position of Christ in gospel churches may be likened to that of a king in a limited constitutional monarchy. The king, sometimes called the crown, is in such a country no more than a traditional rallying point, a pleasant symbol 
of unity and loyalty, much like a flag or a national anthem. He's lauded, feted, and supported, but his real authority is small. Nominally, he is head over all. But in every crisis, someone else makes the decisions. On formal occasions, he appears in his royal attire to deliver the tame, colorless speech put in his mouth by the real rulers of the country. Among the gospel churches, Christ is now, in fact, a little more than a beloved symbol. All hail the power of Jesus' name is the church's national anthem, and the cross is her official flag. But in the week-by-week services of the church and the day-by-day conduct of her members, someone else, not Christ, makes the decisions. Under proper circumstances, Christ is allowed to say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, or let not your heart be troubled. But when the speech is finished, someone else takes over. Those in actual authority decide the moral standards of the church, as well as all objectives and all methods employed to achieve them. The Lord Jesus, excuse me, the Lordship of Jesus is not quite forgotten among Christians but it has been relegated to the hymnal where all responsibility toward it may be comfortably discharged in a glow of pleasant religious emotion. So you stop and consider. Here we are, we're gathered. This is the Faith Baptist Tabernacle. We're looking at the three motivations of Paul. Now, Either we're doing this, or we're doing one thing or the other. We're either listening, and we're going something like, well, that's interesting, or, well, you know, pastor seems to be running out of gas right now. I don't know, maybe, what time is it? We got got lunch. Or we're recognizing that that is from the Word of God, and God wants us to recognize that He indeed has all authority. And just like Paul, we are going to be giving account for how we responded. And when we walk out of here, what really ought to be taking place is this. He is Lord, and he's my Lord. Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? If that's not our attitude, then indeed the authority of Christ is waning in the body of Christ. Right now, we are recognizing, I pray, we are recognizing that even in hearing his word, for us one day it's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone, or it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. You know, picture this, and and I'm almost done. Someone once said that standing before a firing squad marvelously focuses one's mind. Now, I'm not going to try that to find that out. I'm going to take their word for it. 
But here's the point. Here's a person brought to the point of death and all of a sudden they're given a reprieve and it's like, wow, but they have gone through a mental gymnastic. It's like, oh man, it's over. That's the key. What we fear focuses us. What we fear focuses us. The fear of God is respect and awe and reverence. The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of the future keeps us from living like we ought. The fear of God brings it all into focus. Think about that. The terror of the Lord denotes the reverence or fear inspired by the thought that our God our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is judge. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Like I said, we're almost done. And I know there's going to be preachers, including Roger Whiteside, and probably me too, who will stand in judgment when we would be preaching and four or five times we would say, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. But we are almost done. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 4. He says, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body and after that have no more than they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. But in the fearing, look what he says right after that. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You're of more value than many sparrows. Have a reverence for him, but in the reverence, recognize this. He loves you. He loves you. He cares for you. Here's a good question. How can we tell? How can I tell? How can you tell what our attitude is for the judgment seat of Christ? Well, do you want a clear conscience? Paul had one, Acts 20, 26. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. There were those that said, ah, oh, Paul, he's not going to, he, he's, he's going to get wasted when he stands before the Lord. He says, no, that's, that's not the case. That's not the case. Now look, we are fast going into a time when the world says you're nuts. How many of you have ever heard of D.L. Moody? Did you hear what his nickname was? D.L. Moody's nickname was Crazy Moody. 
It was. Crazy Moody. It wasn't his friends that told him that. It was the people that knew him before and those that watched him. They said, you're nuts. You've walked away from a well-paying job. His attitude was, no. It's the love of Christ. That's why I do it. But you're crazy, Moody. No, he wasn't crazy. Listen, we build by our motives. And we've got to ask ourselves as we walk out of here today, what is our motive? Hey, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, each and every one of us. This life is not all there is. Boom! We're before the Lord. I mean, it's the moment, twinkling of an eye. We know this. The next life is sure. That life brings the, this life brings a longing for the next life. The next life begins immediately after this life is over. We see the next life from this life by the sureness of faith. The next life is better. But we make we need to take seriously what awaits us in the next life. And we see that in verse 10. We have a sure judgment. There's a universal judgment. All of us are going to be there. There's, it's a divine judgment before the judgment seat of Christ. It will be a righteous judgment, the things done in the body. It will be an unbiased judgment, whether it be good or bad. Psalm 62, also unto thee, O Lord, begongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Jeremiah 17, 10, I the Lord search the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his way and according to the fruit of his doings. 1 Corinthians 3, 8, now he that plantereth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Romans 2, 5, but after thy, thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath, against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Galatians 6, 4. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. And finally, Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So we got to ask ourselves, what will mark or make our motivations in the coming days? Heaven or Thessalonica? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.